This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Welcome to this episode of the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast. My name is Dan Doty. Today, I will be speaking with Kyle Kingsbury. Kyle is a former football player and was an MMA fighter in the UFC for six years and is currently retired from that. Kyle has a podcast called the Kyle Kingsbury Podcast, and I know him from the realms of On It and Fit for Service, and Kyle and I have kind of been circling in similar uh, arenas for, for a while now. I'm grateful for Kyle to be on the show and to sort of go on this journey with me as we inquire into what fatherhood looks like these days, what might it look like in the future, and how do we fit ourselves into this wild fucking world right now and do the best job that we can for our kids. Not to reduce it to any sort of real primitive means, but I guess that's exactly what I'm doing. But if you look at Kyle, he's a giant fucking man, right? He's he's about as masculine. He looks like a, a Norse warrior. And uh, to have the conversation with him about, uh, I, I believe we span the spectrum pretty well, you know, and I think it's, maybe it's obvious today, maybe it's not, but conversations about what's possible for men these days, I think we still need as many as we can. And especially when they push the boundaries of, of old stereotypes, right? Kyle is both obviously a very, very strong and uh, even dangerous man in some ways, in a practical way, but is just so open-hearted, so connected, so grounded, so into being a dad, and so um, so straightforward about it all. It's deeply refreshing, and I think it's, uh, uh, I'm proud of the conversation. I'm excited what you might get out of it. Before we dive into the conversation, I'm just going to bring up one event uh, on this episode, and that event is called Force of Nature. It's May 26th through May 28th, 2023, and it is located, uh, it's an event that I hold on an island here in Maine. I live on the coast of Maine, and there's uh, thousands of islands off the coast here, and and on these weekends, 15 men come together and we get on a boat and we have a little bit of gear and we get dropped off on the island. And it's a, uh, it's a process of initiation. It's a process of coming together as men to really take a deep, close look at who we are and how far we've come and what's left to do and, and where each of our sort of personal and collective evolutions are at. It's uh, a challenging weekend. It's wildly fun uh, it's it's a mix of adventure on the inside in your soul level and adventure on the outside with your body and the fire and the stars and the ocean. I got some of my best guys along for the ride to co-lead this with me, Devin and Corey. I am already super excited for this. So you can find more about this on my website, dandody.com slash force of nature. Oh, one more little announcement before we get going with the show is that 
we are going to start trying out some shorter content on the podcast as well. Uh, the intention here is to do some Q&A, some question and answer, and we have some good questions already submitted. So we're in production already for our first episode. The idea is we'll throw these out in between our regular weekly longer conversations. Uh, I'm going to shoot for about 15 to 20 minutes for each of them. So for now, maybe keep an eye out. Maybe you'd enjoy that. There are going to be questions around the topics of fatherhood, masculinity, spirituality, emotionality, all of the stuff that we dig into on the show. No question is too big. No question is too small. Anybody can submit. If you want to, please go to the website, Dan Doty, and there's a talk to us button or talk to me, reach out. Anyway, you get it. Go to the website. There's ways to connect. And I'd love to hear your questions and give some time to them on the air. All right. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kyle Kingsbury. Here's where I want to start, man. Like it wasn't long ago, uh, I was doing the the scrolling thing on Instagram, and I saw a specific video of you and your daughter uh, dancing. And I I I swear I probably watched it, I don't know, three or four times. But there was something about it that was really uh, entrancing, something that really like hooked me. And, and I knew we had this conversation coming up, which I've been really excited about. Um, but there was something just in, I don't know, the way that, you know, in that very casual sort of familial environment of being with your daughter, it really got me, man. There's, there's something really fucking cool about it. Um, and so that's kind of like the, the snapshot that I'm bringing into this interview and uh, where I want to start us off today is, um, I mean, d- d- tell me, because I'm curious, tell, tell me about uh, dancing with your daughter, first of all. <laughs> um, it's funny, I was just at the dentist office yesterday, and, and the ladies out the front were saying the exact same thing. I was like, it's funny, like, what, what, <laughs> what people are into, but, um, you know, the, there's a million ways to take it, but I think, like, from a, from what would interfere with that, right? Because it's such a natural thing. You watch kids dance and you're like, why are they so good? Why, oh, because they're literally, they're dancing without a gift. They don't give a shit, right? They're dancing without a care. And, um, and they're just exploring their bodies. And because of, you know, culture and school and all the things like, oh man, you're going to be a dork over there. Just stand with us, that kind of thing. You know, like high school dances and shit like that. We get so in our heads about what, natural movement looks and feels like you know so i think um i mean i was petrified to dance with girls when i was younger and then you know just from being at a lot of the ecstatic dances and things that we do with fit for service like you're taught like if that feels fucking weird do that thing if you think like oh man i look kind of feminine right now like no do that thing do that thing that's uncomfortable and when you explore that then it becomes more free it's like there's a there's an old Native American saying about, um, you know, a sick person, it's when did you stop dancing? When did you stop singing? When did you stop celebrating life? When you think about that, um, I I don't, I don't want that to be one of the reasons that I get sick. You know, I don't want that to be one of the reasons I lose my love for life and having kids, you know, my daughter's going to be two on 4th of July. My son is awesome. Like he was one of the reasons where I was like, fuck yeah, I want to move like him, you know, he's seven now. Uh, so that's seven years to, to, to practice with the kids, but it's just one of the coolest things you put on a tune, you know, and, and um, 
Wolfie is just like saying her first words, you know? So she was like, good one. We got a good one, right? So the second she likes it, if she starts moving her body, she'll find me, we got a good one. Like that means like, get up, you know? And, and uh, she, won't, she won't let anyone in the room, if they're just sitting, hanging out, she won't let you sit down and not dance. Like it's, it's time to dance. When there's a dope song, it's time to dance. So I think that was, that was fun. And then my wife got um, some of those like ribbons, the little flags, uh-huh. you know, for Bear. I think he used those for a Maypole event when he was in school a couple of years ago. And um, those are fun too. Kids love that because you just spin around and they fly through the air and there's different colors. So I think, I think you know, part of dropping the guard of how I look or does this appear, how does this appear? Like any, if that's, that's just, there's no room for that chatter anymore. You know, if there's two... There's yeah. too much medicine in those experiences when I can let go of all that shit and just move freely. And then it's, it's just as awesome for me as it is probably for my daughter, you know, who has none of those thoughts in her head, you know, she's well, yeah, right there with I, I'm with you. I'm so with you. Tell me what, tell me more about what you mean there. Just as awesome for you as her. Like I, I'm with you. Like she's not in her head about it. She, her, the music comes on and she has to move and she has to move to the point where she's going to find anyone not moving and say, what is wrong? Let's move. Right. And I think, um, you know, we can get in our heads about that. Because, like, right when my wife was, was videotaping, I was like, oh, this is going on the gram. You know, and I was like, all right, just fucking ignore it. And, um, but, like, but, but that's just it. You know, like, whenever there's, if there's something that's coming through my head that's going to take away from that experience, it doesn't belong there. You know, and that's taken years to unpack that. It's not like I just rolled out of bed and was like, yeah, let's move together. You know, it's like that took years to unpack. Um, and I think part of my job as a dad is to not let that come in to their experience. You know, it doesn't mean I'm going to protect them in a bubble, but it means like, no, 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 you feel how it is when you move and you don't care. Don't let someone else's opinion. Oh, that's weird. Or, oh, why do you move that way? You look like a girl, like none of that shit, just that that doesn't count. Right. Cause you have the feeling and the feeling is the truth. Yeah, man. Fuck. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think now thinking about it and talking to you about it, there's two things I think that, that struck me about it. The first was just, you know, just the obvious sort of you're this, you know, giant fucking bald Hulk of a man. And then your tiny little beautiful daughter, and you know, just there, there's a, like a difference, a polarity there, which, which is just obvious to the visual eye. Right. But the second thing I think, yeah, you're, you're naming it was this just sense of spaciousness and freedom. And you could almost, you know, feel uh, the, I don't know, the permission that was given both, both to you and your daughter and how, how safe and just, you know, and, and just from my perspective, I, I, I think that's one of the most, I don't know, enriching things we can ever offer our children and really anybody around us. So yeah, fuck yeah. Kudos to you, man. That was, that was cool to see it. I'm glad you shared it. Um, so, I mean, you, you said a little bit, but t- tell us a little more just about your kids. Who are they? How many you got? You got a thousand of them. You got, you got two of them, I think, right? But tell us about your kids. Yeah, we had, um, we had Bear in 2015. He just turned seven. And um, Wolf, like I said, she's right right around the corner. I don't, maybe after this podcast releases, she'll be two. But 4th of July, she turns two this year. And, um, you know, we didn't plan to have them five years apart. That's just how, how it worked out, you know. We were trying for a couple of years and then she came exactly when she was supposed to come smack dab in the middle of quarantine you know like right in the summer of 2020 and i was like cool well souls still want to incarnate now that gives me some hope you know it's like, it's like people just pulled the plug and were like "Fuck that we're not going to earth um and uh 
you know, my son is, it's funny because he's like me when I was a kid, he's, he's pretty sensitive. You know, like if someone mocks him, he goes fucking zero to six. Don't mock me, dad. So like, that's been a lot of lessons for me to like, not push him the way I would, you know, like other, other people in the locker room, that kind of thing, you know, like to let yeah. go of some of the jock stuff and just really attune to that sensitivity rather than trying to squash it. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, he loves jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai. He, he's a bull in a china shop. And um, having the little girl, it was like the, you know, picturesque, like, compliment to that. You know, her, her yin feminine energy is just, it's pure medicine for me. You know, I remember um, there was a point early on when we had bear, I jumped on modafinil and nootropics and a pot of coffee, like every biohack that I could to somehow deal and cope with the lack of sleep. And that worked when I was 35, but now at 40, yeah. I tried to run that back and I just felt cracked out. I didn't feel like, like hyper brain activity and like I could make it through. I felt tired and wired and um, like, this isn't the experience I had with bear. I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't be doing this. And I remember my wife being like, here, hold her. I got to go to the bathroom. And I was like, ah, and I grabbed her and I was like, I don't want her to feel my heart rate this high. I don't want her oh. to feel me like freaking out. Yeah. And just her presence totally reset me. It was like, I hadn't even had, it was like, I had a full night's rest, no modafinil, no coffee. And it was like, she was giving me permission to be tired. She was giving me permission to just let my natural state come through. And I'm, I'm not kidding. Like my resting heart rate dropped probably 20 beats with her in my arms. And I was like, this is a powerful little being right here that could just overpower the chemical cocktail I've thrown in like gasoline on the fire. And, um, I have a, you know, she's, she is really like the perfect compliment that's made our family more complete. Oh, that's beautiful, man. So, um, you know, we're, we're on similar sort of uh, schedules in, in life. We're about the same age. I have two boys. My oldest just turned six and my youngest is three and a half. I'm sorry, not my youngest anymore. My middle child's three and a half. But then I had my first daughter in January. And uh, so wilderness is five months old. And it's just so timely, man. Like literally two nights ago, my wife and I were in the bath, everybody was sleeping and, and, and the baby woke up and she's, she's teething and like pretty fucking painfully teething right now. And, um, you know, I just, I, I went in there and, you know, scooped her up and it was like, I, I don't know why this was possible, but I literally like, you know, I comforted her and I held her and I, and I was just so soft and tender. And then we're sitting in the rocking chair and then literally I felt and kind of watched like this, like, it was almost, I guess it was probably oxytocin, but it was like we imprinted on each other, man. I was just like, watch those, just like, she's like fucking rocked my chest. My heart just went fucking wild. And, <laughs> and then I'm just like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm like here for it. And, and like, honestly, since, I mean, we, and we've been, you know, connected before this, but since that moment, the last couple of days, like, I, I get the chills. Like I walk in the room and she like looks and smiles and I, and like, and she gets all wiggly and I'm like, it's fucking crazy, man. Like it just happened. Like, like, like the imprint, something just happened between us. And, uh, man, I think I'm on the beginnings of another life change <laughs> for my own, another transformation. <laughs> I don't know what's even going to happen to me. So, um, anyway, yeah. Little girls, man. Jeez. That's, that's, this is new territory for me. Um, yeah. It's, it's new territory for sure. I remember changing the diaper and I was like, Oh, there's rules about which direction to go. And <laughs> I was like, it's so much easier with boys, you know, like I didn't have to think about any of this stuff before. And then I didn't want to, 
yeah. you know, you don't want to give them infection or any of that stuff. So you're like extra careful and slow and they're still wiggling, kicking their own shit. And yeah. so it's funny, like the, the little things there, and you know, she's still, I'm sure like wilderness will be, you know, she's very much a tomboy, very much wants to play in the mud, do everything her brother's doing, you know? And I think that's, that's one of the cool things about, um, you know, having it set in that way where you've got older brothers to the younger girl um, and boys get to, you know, boys are very quickly forced to learn how to be gentle and forced to learn how to, how to really care for someone else. And that protector role that's so important for a man to understand, not only for themselves as a human being, but like for the greater good, um, they have that right there baked into the nuclear family. And I think that's a really cool thing too, if it works out that way, you know? Yeah, man. Did you have, did you have sisters or did you have, uh, did you have some of that caretaking part of, of your growing up or was it new to you? Yeah, I have, I have one sibling who's a year younger than me. I mean, like 13, 14 months apart. Um, and just a year younger, we were, we're always at each other's throats, but you know, all through high school, like the game was different, you know, it was like her button heads at home and then anyone looks at her, you know, when I was in school, yeah. and it's, you know, so, um, I've always looked after her and she's awesome. She had, um, she had a son nine weeks after bear. So both my wife and my sister were pregnant at the exact same time. Wow. We were living in California. They went through it together. Um, uh, during my sister's delivery, I was there with her husband hoisting a leg up, telling her to push so she wouldn't get C-sectioned. And, um, you know, so very much involved with, with that. And then her next birth was two identical twin boys. And wow. I was like, this is going to be mad. And that was only 15 months later too. Right. So, um, she went back to back with three boys and then, um, sorry for the dog barking out there. Okay. Apparently the wife didn't take them. <laughs> um, and then uh, she finally just had a little girl, uh, little Riley, who's who's now just like this perfect little peanut, this little chunker with three older brothers that are just nonstop headbutting, biting each other. So it's pretty cool to see that work out, too. Damn. Are you um, do you have are you close uh, in physical geographically to your sister? Is, is, not, is it a whole crew? around? Yeah, not, not anymore. You know, I, I left California. I kind of fleed california in 2017 and beat the rush here to texas but um yeah uh we get out there once a year they're coming out here early august i got their whole family flying out so i'm super excited for that yeah. and um yeah we'll schlitter bond the farm just give them the texas heat experience you know and do everything we can with them nice so just so you have a sense of you know where where i'm uh, what my intentions are with this podcast and this project that i'm doing you know i'm i'm curious about um men's experiences as fathers not just not just the nuts and bolts of how we do it and you know how to be a good dad in sort of that surface level but what i'm really after is here's the like the transformational capacity of, of what it actually means to go through the process of having children of taking on that responsibility and it's it's my um i don't know i guess part of my thesis here is that i, I really do see fatherhood as probably one of the most effective and powerful uh, rites of passage and sort of just gauntlets of growth that we could ever go through. And it's, it's been true for me and it's been true for a lot of my clients and all of that. Um, so this next sort of series of questions and what I want to go down is just to hear more of, you know, your transformative story, like what it's actually meant to you, like, like the good, the bad and the ugly and all of it. So here's what I'm curious about, like, who were you right before you had your first kid? Like, who were you? Where were you? 
what guided your life? What did you fucking care about? Like, I'm just curious, who was, who was the dude? Yeah, I mean, depending how far back you go, you know, I, I grew up in California, played football since I was 10, finished at ASU, uh, was pretty depressed about looking, you know, whatever desk job I was going to get and missing out on the camaraderie of having a team and, and, you know, the physical nature of wanting to express, you know, my athleticism over and over again and not really having an outlet for that. Got into mixed martial arts, um, ended up fighting in the UFC for six years. And I had a boxing coach who was a Native American and Mayan elder who would bring me out for traditional sweat lodges and, and the ritualistic use of plant medicines. And so, you know, seeing where I was at, I was working at a, at a strip club, bouncing and bartending and managing on weekends the entire time I was in the UFC. My wife, who is just, I'm so blessed by, lived with me in my mom's detached garage for five years while I was struggling to make it as a fighter. And, um, you know, at 32, I retired pretty damn young for a fighter. You know, a lot of guys stretch it in their 40s and still do well in their 40s. But I, I, I could see teammates and other people that I was familiar with that had similar experience. They're just a few years older and they were starting to slip. They'd slip in conversation. I mean, I do it plenty on the podcast. So it's, it's kind of funny that I mentioned this, but it's like, what was I saying? Um, I had guys what really cemented it was I had a friend forget we were we were talking not forget his part of the conversation like hey I think I just said such and such bring me back he would just the blank stare forget we were talking yeah. you know oh hey what's up Kyle They're like whoa like fucking two minutes we were just talking I was like uh so that scared the shit out of me and um you know, MMA is not as bad as boxing, but it does take its toll. And really, you know, I'd focus so much on optimization and being the best athlete that that really showed me the next doorway of what I was going to learn, which was really about longevity, um, how to how to repair the brain from TBI and CT and things like that. And that led me further into plant medicines. It led me to hyperbaric oxygen and float tanks and you name it, but anything that could help fix the damage that I had done. Yeah. And, um, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest journeys that I had uh, with ayahuasca, it showed me that I didn't have to. It wasn't that identity, you know. So like when fighting ended, that's fine. There's the whole rest of my life to go for, right? And it, and it, it lit the fire for me to explore that in a way where I had no attachments when I left it behind. You know, I still wanted to do it. I still um, knew I hadn't you know, fulfilled my potential in that arena, but the cost was, was worth more than, than what was remaining there, you know? And, um, so when we what had bear, want, what did you want for the rest of your life at, when in that, at that time, when you were looking, I want to preserve X, Y, Z for the rest of my life. I want to be able to be there. What, what were you looking toward? I, the, the exact thought that came up for me in ceremony was I, I want to be able to read to my kids. Uh, and we had, we weren't married. We hadn't, we had talked about kids, you know, but we weren't, we weren't there yet, you know? And I was like, I want to be able to read to my kids. That's a fucking important deal for me. And I don't want to, I don't want to miss that opportunity because I stayed in the game too long. And, um, you know, when I, when I transitioned away from fighting, I still had no idea what I was going to be when I grew up, you know, I had no idea, but the thing was, I was, I was, I had trust that what I was being guided towards was, was going to be something worthwhile and that, um, you know, really the only guidance I got was just keep learning what you're learning, explore your passions. And yeah. so I just kept with that. You know, I'd show up to the strip club for an 11 hour shift and I'd read the first five hours of the night until it got busy, <laughs> you know, just, just more, 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 let me consume more. 
Where in your life, where were you first given permission to follow your own shit, following your own energy and passion? And what was that? I'm curious, is there, is there a specific time? Yeah. So when I, when I hit, you know, whatever my rock bottom was with depression after football ended, um, I, up until that point was saying, fuck all the other things. Like you're going to go into sales and be like me, you're going to do, you know, like that. And it was just like, no, man, I don't want any of that. And I didn't really have an avenue for it. Um, and it's funny because my dad had always told me, like, if you ever, if I ever find out that you're fighting, I'm going to take a fucking crowbar to the side of your leg. Cause I don't want your brain to get hurt. I'd rather take your leg out to end your career than find out that you're fighting professionally. So I was actually three and O before my uncle told my dad, Hey, your son's doing pretty good. And he's like, yeah, he's like, no, he's doing, he's like undefeated. It's like undefeated at what? So we had a funny phone call. Obviously he didn't take a crowbar to my leg. Um, but just that piece of where I was able to say, no, you know, both parents didn't want me to fight. Obviously I don't want my kids to fight um, unless they're passionate about it. Sure. But for me, that was kind of the switch that was flipped in terms of I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. Yeah. And I'm going to follow this thing, however long it lasts. And then the next thing is going to be the exact same thing. You know, I'm still a, a senior at ASU. <laughs> forks up I, I never finished college I was like I, I saw no reason of all the jobs offered uh that required a college degree I wanted nothing to do with that absolutely nothing to do with that so not finishing school and going into MMA those were really the two big pieces for me where I was like I'm going to do whatever I want to do and I'm going to do what's necessary to make that happen were you a guy that had a general sort of underneath sense that you eventually you would have a family and become a dad or, or was it something you just didn't think about or what was, what was your sort of take on that? Yeah, I always knew I'd have kids and wanted kids and I was always great with kids, you know, like at parties and stuff like that. If there were younger kids around from my teenage years, I'd be the guy launching them in the swimming pool and playing with them all and, and breaking up fights if kids were arguing like, no, he did that. No, 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 let's settle down. You know, like there's always just that, kind of an innate draw towards them. And I, I, I feel quite youthful even at 40, but like mentally there's, there's a lot that children offer, right? Like just the dancing piece, right? Like they, they, they're uninhibited in so many ways. Yeah. And that to me is counter to the very stiff regimented old conservative, you know, like, and, and there's a, but there's a benefit to both. Right. And I think from a lot of the authoritarian style, um, parenting that I had, which was passed down from the grandparents, you know, we go up to Oregon, a family reunion, and I'm like, oh, I understand you now, dad, sorry, <laughs> like, sorry, you had it that rough, right, but um, I think children offered that, that counterbalance, you know, of, of play, and, and authenticity, and, and really, like, they're their unbridled self, until they're not, right, so I think that was something that it was always a draw for me, there, it wasn't anything that was pressing, but, you know, both my wife and I, sat with ayahuasca and she she was talking afterwards in the closing ceremony about a vision she had where she was holding me and I was holding a baby and I was like wait sorry I don't mean to interrupt I know this is inappropriate but I had the same the exact same vision I had the exact same vision and I had read about that before in um Jeremy Narby's DNA and the Cosmic Serpent right I was like oh that's possible well we just did it and um a month later we were pregnant with Bear you know and I've, I've made contact with who would become my daughter four years beforehand and had to wait four years. And that was, that was grueling. Um, 
but I've, I've, we've, we've seen both our kids, you know, and I imagine if we're going to have more, I'd like not to, <laughs> yeah. but if we are yeah. going to have more, I imagine I'm going to come into contact with them beforehand too, you know, and there's that preparatory, like you're going to do it again, you know? Yeah. You're feeling, you're feeling that this may be two, two is enough. Yeah. At least for now, you know, like she's been nursing the whole two years and she, she realized early on, like having, having bear who's so high energy, she's like, we can't both be tired. Yeah. You sleep upstairs. If he needs to come in, you can go to your room. Um, but I can handle this. I got this down, you know, and, and just give me breaks during the day where you can. And so that's really what we've been doing since Wolf was six weeks. Yeah. So I got, I was in there, you know, <laughs> on the front lines for six weeks. And then she saw like both kids are being impacted by this. You're being impacted by this. Your work is, yeah. um, whereas, you know, for a year and almost two years, we were in that, that garage with bear. We brought him home from Stanford and it's like, he'd stand from his crib and point and scream until we brought him to bed. And I'd sneak him onto my side to keep him away from mom. And the three of us, you know, wedged, I'm, I'm a big dude. So it was wedged in the king size. Um, that's what we did for two years, you know? And so it's been easier with the second, but at the same time, I think just for the sanity and health of mom, we want space, you know? And, and I don't know at, at me being 45 and at least we're healthy, you know, like we can do it again. Um, but you know, you're right there, right. When you jump back in, you're like, damn it. I was past diapers. I was past this. The kids are on autopilot. They know how to go to bed. They know how to brush their teeth. Like I got to do that whole part all over again. It's a challenging piece. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's a wild time. And, and I, I think we're probably done. I think three is plenty for us, but, uh, but I'm also an idiot. And so I don't know. <laughs> we actually we were driving to the beach the other day and I think we both had the same actually similar to the ayahuasca like my, my wife and I I think having kids does sort of even tighten the energetic bonds I mean it's just we yeah. have so many fucking thoughts at the same fucking time it's it's just it's ridiculous but anyway we both had the first I had the actual authentic feeling come up like oh man I could have another kid I was like shit I can't I shouldn't say this out loud, but um, she she just told me that the other day, and I was like, "Am yeah. I a bizarre world? Like yeah. you, you haven't you haven't we haven't crossed the finish line with this one? Like we're we're it's still you know incredibly toxic. Like maybe with an au pair or something, but that's not how we want to do things, anyways. You know, we we need some rest. We just got our, we just got an au pair, which, which but, awesome. Hours, but um, yeah, it's rad so far. All right, so here's here's a question. I, I would you, you mentioned briefly your dad and sort of going to Oregon and kind of seeing maybe where he came from, but just just if if there would have been a, a parenting book from your dad's perspective of how he raised you, what would it have been called? And then and then after you nailed that, what's the parenting book you're writing in your own head? <laughs> um, yeah, I think if I was to put them in a sentence each, um, do it my way immediately would be the title of, of his book immediately an exclamation point. And then my way would be, remember your kids are teaching you not the other way around. Yeah. You yeah. know, but remember that because it's hard to remember that, you know, when they're screaming at you or, or for any reason fighting amongst themselves, it's like, remember they're teaching you, you know, they're teaching me right now. So how can I soften and then approach this as a governor, not the, the taskmaster to dish out punishment or to say who's wrong or any of that stuff. Um, it's just, you know, you, you go through life and it's like hard because all this shit, you, 
even though I've worked on so much of it, including with my dad, who's I have an awesome relationship with now. Um, you know, we've done ceremonies together. We had him out here for a month helping us build out the farm. And, I, and it was the best month I've ever had with him. 30 days straight under the same roof. Best month I've ever had with him uh, earlier this year. So, but that takes time. And then there's still all this shit just buried and entwined inside where it's like, there's a knee jerk reaction for me to behave identically. And that takes, that really does take pausing, you know, it takes pausing. So I don't do the same things, but also if I do fuck up on a certain level, how quick can I circle back to, Hey, I'm sorry, buddy. I fucked up, you know, and, and, and voicing that, letting them know like what I did wasn't okay. And I'm not going to do that again. And then forgiving myself how do I take that weight off myself so I don't hold that you know guilt walking around and oh man I really am a terrible dad I'm this and that because that oscillation does happen you know like overreact and yell and my son starts crying and it's like I didn't need to do that you know like I really didn't need to do that and it didn't help anything you know and I got to be better about that I'm going to jump in and interrupt this conversation just for a minute and I want to tell you about a course that is online and you could have uh, in your head and in your hands and on, I guess on your phone, honestly, in less than 30 seconds, if you'd like it, it's called intentional fathering. It's a deep dive self-study course comprised of guided meditations, challenging prompts to journal on, to talk about with your loved ones and a bunch of stories that help kind of illuminate or elucidate what I feel is the spectrum of fatherhood these days. It's delivered to you like a private podcast. You sign up, you click the button, and it shows up in your podcast feed. And uh, I put a lot of heart and a lot of time into it. I'd be honored if you do give it a listen. Give me a shout. Give me some feedback. Let me know how it goes for you. So it's called Intentional Fathering. It's on the Dan Doty website, dandoty.com, D-A-N-D-O-T-Y.com. Check it out. Yeah, I mean, that's fucking common, man. I mean, it's, it's the same thing for me. Actually, in a conversation with the group recently, um, we talked about that cycle, but then also talked, and you just named it, the, sometimes the propensity to kind of indulge in the shame and kind of like stick with the, like, oh, I fucked up, I'm such, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think that's, it's also interesting to realize it's easy for some men to get caught in that space. And that's not serving anybody either. You kind of got to, you just kind of got to keep going. Um, just, just because it might be so, so yours is, uh, you know, remember your kids are teaching you, your dad's just do it my way immediately. How about one more generation older, like your dad's gener, your, your grandpa's generation is, is that, is there any way to, what do they say? Uh, it's, uh, the old quote from the Bible, spare the rod, deny the child or something like that. Like yeah. that's, yeah, yeah, I think that'd be it right there. One of my dad's hardest memories was because he was the oldest of five kids. Yeah. He, he was in charge of disciplining the other kids at times with a switch, you know, you know, like a, basically a whip. And, um, that he said, fucked him up worse than a lot of things because that's his, those are his siblings, you know, so to be put in that position and then forced to do that or else, you know, knuckle sandwich, something like that. Like that's, that's a hard, that's hard for me to imagine that. That's fucking wild, man. That, yeah, that kind of shocked me. That's intense. What, so, I don't know. Yeah, let's just get it. What do you think's going on? So this is one of the things I'm so curious about, like really just fundamentally curious about generationally how we parent, how we show up. You know, it's, it's my belief that like, you know, everything we put in the world and everything we do in our career is impactful and all that. But I really think on like a big, deeper, slower level, 
like we're shaping the world, you know, through our children very, very strongly, right? So yeah, so if that shit's going on two generations back, you know, just like violence, you know, I guess it's just straight yeah. violence. And then your your father was like, you know, the the next phase. And now here you are showing up very, 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 I mean, my words now, but openly, warmly connected, you know, learning from your children, seeing a very different shift. Um, what do, I just, how do you make sense of that? I'm, I'm curious, is, is what, what's going on there? What's your sense of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There, there's obviously you, you look at things from, um, from the big picture, you know, the world's different. Like, is it, is it the cause of, you know, world wars happening and the great depression and, and growing up in different times that lead to um, a stiffening and a hardening around how you treat something that's innocent and just learning. I think about that often because I'm, I'm, you know, as I look at the world right now, it's like, Hey, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's sirens going off in a lot of arenas. And, um, and when is that appropriate to engage them in that? And how do I bring that to them in a way that still shows them like there's so much to be grateful for. And we always have a choice, you know, but I think about the, you know, what life might have been like for my grandfather growing up, you know, it's just a completely different time. It's hard to imagine. Right. right? And I, I look at my progression with, you know, from, and my dad's progression, which was substantial um, as, as those are huge, you know, and, and not every kid has that background and not every kid's dad has that background either. Um, but seeing those leaps there, you know, I, I listen to a lot of great thinkers. I'm sure, you know, like Daniel Schmachtenberger, guys mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. uh, Jamie wheel, and they're solving all these, the meta crises, right? Uh, yeah. Charles Eisenstein, he's coming on again tomorrow. Um, you know, some of the most brilliant thinkers on the planet and, and they're addressing, you know, issues from AI to climate to you name it. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that the ceremony of fatherhood is so important is because there is nothing more important than that. When you become a dad, like everything else is secondary. And when you think of most of the issues we have with the Day, you know, with the, the ideology of separation, the ideology of I'm going to get everything I can and keep it for myself and not share. Um, that was taught, you know, there wasn't some innate thing, you know, like that was a learned thing. And I think when we see the next generation, that's the greatest gift we can in solving whatever meta problems we're going to face. If you teach kids to have the ability to survive on their own, the ability to protect themselves, um, the knowledge, the old world knowledge of growing and cooking and their own food and really harvesting that, preserving it, like those are intangibles that are always necessary. It's just that they, for some reason, culturally, we forgot that. You know, we think just because I can have Amazon deliver me food that it's that it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons that's drawn me to people like you is because like you've been in that game, you know, and now I'm like with <laughs> everything going on, like I, I better be in that game too. And, um, I think the the work that's required to to shift that in the face of all these things, right? In the face of critical race theory and all this stuff that's just being fucking pumped into our children right now, there's never been a more important time than to to, to really teach kids what is the way forward. Yeah. And that that first is a requirement for me to live that. I have to be the living example of the way forward for them. Yeah, I'm amen. I'm I'm right with you. And so how has that, you know, the ceremony of fatherhood and I guess this like crucible of growth that you've gone through as a dad, like what's that been like, man? How have you transformed since you've been a dad? Like 
who you were before, who you've become and who you're becoming, right? It's just a frame, but like, what's been hard? What have you, what have you had to burn through as you become a dad? And, and again, like, just to, just to really fine tune it, like you said, it's, it's, what I'm just blown away by is the accountability structure that it, that it means to raise children, but because you're right, it's, it's not what we say. It's not what we do there. It's literally us. They're imprinting. They're literally like imprinting on who we are, how we are. And so, um, yeah, if, if the stakes are that high, what's been, what's been the hardest part, what's been like the, what's the biggest growth and what are the biggest lessons you've learned, man? I think, I think the hardest part is the, with, with bear realizing, you know, cause you hear this in like, spiritual terms you hear it in parenting books that your children are a mirror and the first time bear tried to say fucking he said fucking you know but he was trying to figure out a way to use it and i was like oh i say that word a lot still don't i you know and i love saying it on podcasts and i don't censor myself but at the same time you know what's appropriate for him right what's appropriate for him with the things that i'm learning about the government or the foreseeable future financially like not appropriate yet um so really navigating my communication has been one of the first requirements, I think, with him. Um, and then and navigating my communication when it comes to discipline, you know, because like I said, all those things were still ingrained. I thought I'd work that all out, you know, sitting in a teepee on ayahuasca. Like, no, 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 no. That, that, that illuminated those things. It yeah. did not do the work to remedy that, right? Like I get to be the work that remedies that. And um, that's, that's, oftentimes a lot easier to say than do and so really it's it's a it's really about how do I show up it's easy you know when I hit the gym and I come home and there's a big paycheck and all the things are just you know everything's a greased machine working perfectly it's very easy to soften and be there for him and yeah if, if I'm low on sleep and money's tight and all these other that I haven't worked out in two weeks I'm not the same guy you know so so you know, really over the, especially the first five years, because it was right after I retired, there was still that drive to push myself 110%. I remember coming home from jujitsu one day and uh, after I retired and he ran in and jumped on my neck and I was like, ah, bear. And I was like, oh, hmm, I actually don't need to be this sore anymore. I actually shouldn't be this sore for him. I don't ever want my son to feel like he can't jump on me or play with me because I was fucking training for what a tournament like that's not my job anymore i don't need that i have equivalency that i'll never lose and i need to keep yeah. my sword sharp but i don't need to beat myself up the way that i did and that took you know i had just i didn't have the attachment of being a fighter but i had a, the attachment still to to owning the same skill set like i'm going to be in the best shape of my life i'm going to be all these things still even though i'm not competing and it was like the, the, the balance point was off there. You know, I couldn't spend that much time in the gym if I wanted to be able to run and do all the things that I want to do with my son. It just didn't make sense to me anymore. So, you know, as they say, you give away more and more of yourself. And I think that was like really just figuring out like, what is that, that pie chart of the day look like yeah. that's dedicated for me? And what's the minimum effective dose for me so that when I leave the gym or I leave, leave the mats, that I can show up and be 100, 100% energy to match whatever that kid energy is. That's demanding, you know, like it's no joke demanding. And uh, um, so I think it's, it's become a, a responsibility of mine to make sure that everything I'm doing serves that, serves that role of father. So, you know, if we're, if we're partying for Aubrey's 40th birthday or something like that, like I have a limit that I set to myself 
if I'm still in Austin. Like if I got to beat dad the next day, there's a, there's a strong limit there. And there are limits even at Burning Man, even though, you know, because there's after effects from things like that. And I don't want to come back on an emotional roller coaster. You know, I have to be present. I have to be ready to take all the demands of that child on. And so really the, the hardest piece in the first five years was navigating um, my own, my, my personal schedule, my personal care, my personal um, uh, demands, even from work. You know, there's a point in time where I was like, I would rather make less money and have more time to be home and help my mom or my wife who's a full-time mom um, then make more money at the cost of seeing my kids. You know, the time is too valuable, especially right now. So that was a further development. And I think having, having the little girl, you know, I, um, I've never yelled at her, you know, unless she was about to kill herself or something like that, like don't run to the street, you know, but, um, just in, in yelling at the dog or in yelling something excitedly, like not, not angry at anybody. I'm like, Holy shit, this is amazing. When she starts to cry just from the, the zero to 60, it's like, oh, I got to cushion that. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to prep her for people yelling. I'm trying to make her feel that she's in a safe environment at all times. You know, I want her to grow into her. I don't want her to, to be worried about, uh, you know, like I've walked on eggshells with my mom for years. You know, like I don't want her to walk on eggshells around me. And um, that's been a further one. It's still really refining communication and, and um, how I show up and all my interactions with them what's what's like the what's the what's the best part man like what do you just fucking love more than anything about about family and kids being a dad like what gets it i i think it is those little things you know the somebody who i'd worked with um a couple doctors here that are big in the biohacking scene and also now big into plant medicines they had said as soon as fear shows up or or um you know rage any of these negative emotions at their at their height automatically you can reverse engineer it. you know you listen to guys like dr andrew huberman talk about you can reverse engineer the the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system simply through breath mm -hmm. or mantra or meditation any of these things and you can do it rapidly mm -hmm. so can you reverse engineer your feeling by engaging in the opposite so one of the things they said is like this does work and what was cool this this uh woman dr michael hamilton was in the navy for 30 years and now she works with elite level people all over the world and she's like engage in joy engage in the things that just fill you up inside and i was like is that easy and she's like it's that easy and so for a minute there it was hard for me to figure out like what is the thing yeah. that immediately cracks me open and it's always with my kids i get to the shittiest day when i come home and play monster or grab one and tickle them and the little giggle comes out it's like <laughs> the slate is completely clean i'm right there with them and all of that other stuff seems less daunting. Like, it's like, oh, okay, this is what it's about. This is what's worth protecting. This is what's worth fighting for. And I think it's, it's the, the moments where I'm dancing with her or when we're doing Tickle Monster or when I'm calmly letting my son know why he doesn't need to, to, to freak out because I beat him again in trouble. You know, it's like, <laughs> like all of those little things are, are baked into the experience of, of just the it, joy in actuality. You know, like, what does joy look like in the real world? Like, that's that's joy to me. Those are the, those are the moments where I'm like, this is awesome. You know, when we get in a big fight and I go to bed and I'm like, part of me does not want to read you a book right now. Part of me wants to go straight to my room and I'm still going to say no to that. And I'll lay with you and read, even though, you know, I've just been on the receiving end of my son screaming for five minutes. I'm still going to read. And then once I've read, then we're going to talk and I'm going to massage your legs. And then I'm going to go to bed knowing that was the right thing to do. 
and that 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 i've wiped his slate clean too you know that's beautiful um you know what one of the things so you, you mentioned in there briefly and i can't assume but i could guess that um you know fatherhood's pretty central to you i, I mean what what do you think is it is it is it the most important thing in your life is it what you take the most or is it not like how how do you how would you rank it if you did and and then you know what i'm so curious about just for everybody and just in general societally is for, so for me it is it is has become just organically the most like the central function of my life right and it's you know until i became a dad i put <laughs> almost no time into it right i mean i did i obviously i, I grew up and i matured i think all of the all of the meditation all, all of the things i did to grow up and mature really helped but um but what i'm i don't know just kind of like wrestle with all the time is that i know it's it is of primary importance to me and in terms of my time like you said the pie slices and how we divvy things out like there just seems to me to be kind of a fundamental schism between how important uh family and kids and fatherhood is to men and how much of our energy and time we actually put into it um yeah, yeah i'm just curious what what your thoughts that's, are. that's that's beautifully put you know um I think the skew or the schism it has to do with how we think we're, we're, we're shaping them as a father, right? So some people have this idea, um, you know, I'll, I'll say it, Gary Vee was on a podcast with Mark Bell and he said, you know, uh, uh, raising kids is a baseball game and people are trying to win the game in the first three innings, right? They put all this importance on the first three innings and you got the whole game, you know, he's like, I'm going to be a dad when my kid is 20. I'm going to be a dad still when my kid's 40. And while that's true, you know, these first four cycles of seven years until they're 28 are pretty damn important, right? Like the difference between needing therapy or not, right? <laughs> like there's, they're really important. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, if it fits under the umbrella, what do your kids need most? They want, they want time. They want quality time. They want connection points. They want conversations. They want you. Yeah. No amount of money replaces that, you know? So if the idea is I'm going to leave this legacy for them, behind the greatest legacy is your time with them that's the biggest imprint right the imprint doesn't happen from a bank account it doesn't happen from the three businesses they started in their 40s because what you're teaching them is to miss the mark with their kids right for them to prioritize their work or their job or their legacy ahead of their families and um that i think is one of the fundamental issues right or or the i can't i have to do x y and z in order to 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 get this done and it's like there's always a way you know like i i grew up on spam and mac and cheese uh i remember we'd get like a big ass kielbasa and they'd throw that into like the hamburger helper or something like that was the special treat yeah. you know yeah. um so you know and, and still in fighting it's only very recently where i was able to buy a house and 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 now you know we're building out the farm uh with aubrey marcus and there's a lot going on there that I will be able to leave behind for them. But at the same point in time, that's not it. That's, that's not the thing. The thing is the imprint. The thing is the time with them. And that's that's the most important thing. So, you know, is father the most important thing? It is by far. And, and, I'll, and I'll use that to fit in. Like, why is it important that I still take some time for myself to lift weights? Because that clears my mind and I'm a better dad because of it. I'm not going to kick my ass like, like I used to. You know, I can't do that either because then there's a point of diminishing returns. There's a point of diminishing returns with how much time I spend working, you know, even at a great pay rate. There's a point of diminishing returns 
with when I leave for an event for fit for service. Like I got, I got a week that I'm gone three or four times a year, you know, yeah. like that's a month at the end of the year. Right. Do I need more than that? No, I, that's right where it needs to be. You know? Yeah. So I, I think everything really flows back to how much time am I able to spend with them and how much quality time and that quality time requires me to be my best, you know? So those, yeah. all those check boxes I have for self-care and everything else, they, they gain more weight and more importance when I, when I know what that means for me as a dad, when I know what that means for me, how I show up and how I can respond to the many, many, many stressors that, that, that are there and present with kids. Totally, man. I just had a memory that I was probably, it must've been my son was my first, my oldest son, my first was either a year or two old. And this was at the time I, I had uh, launched the company every man and was, I was gone a lot. And looking back on it, it was, it was, I, I, I fucking was out of sorts. I was, I was home. Uh, not enough. I was, I was gone far too much, but um, a mentor of mine at that time, because I was there and I was sharing this, you know, it was like men's work and men's groups. And so we were just there kind of sharing what the fuck we felt. And I remember saying like, I think I'm fucking up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not at home. I, I know I'm not giving my wife what she needs. And I'm really worried about this. And a mentor of mine actually said something like, he's like, oh no, you know, some study, you know, he quoted some study about, you know, a parent, a kid just needs to know you're there like 30, 30 or 40% of the time. And, and if that's true, then they'll be attached and they'll be healthy. And I was just like, I don't know, something honestly in me was just like, who the fuck, and this, this man wasn't a father either. And I'm like, you motherfucker, you, you don't know what you're fucking talking about, man. You're like, um, I actually think I never really squared that inside of me. But yeah, it's, it is crazy. It's 100% true that what they want is us. That's it. That's all they want. That's all they fucking need. Um, so we kind of touched into this a little bit earlier, but what I want to sort of like get into the, for the, the last leg of this is I'm curious how you are thinking about... Um, you, you know, you named a few things, but but with what I would say is a very uncertain future, right? For humanity, for the world, for all things, with for all the different fucking reasons. I'm curious as, you know, what do you and your, your wife, what, what do you really kind of slow down and lean into and center as the most important things for your kids? Like, like how are you raising them? And, and, and it's just a, something I'm thinking about all the time. Like, how do we best raise for a, for a future? And I'm guessing it always the future was unknown, right? I think that's part of the future is we don't know it, but it seems to me to be even more mysterious right now. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, education is a massive piece and I, I found Rudolf Steiner's work to be incredibly helpful. Uh, Bear attended a Waldorf for a couple of years and that was awesome. And then eventually, you know, with, with their following CDC guidelines around masks policies and things like that, we pulled him out. It would have been his third year in kindergarten. We've been homeschooling for the last year and a half and he's thriving. You know, I had a conversation with Dr. Thomas Cowan on the podcast and he talked about unschooling, you know, like the, uh, the book by Ivan Illich, De-Schooling Society is, is brilliant. And, um, you know, really allowing kids to learn at the stages in which they want to learn, you know, and Thomas Cowan gave a great example of a teacher who had taught at Waldorf for 30 years and then she left for the same reasons and she started, you know, homeschooling a group of four kids. All four were unschooled, meaning between the ages of 10 and 12, none of them could read or write. Wow. None of them could read or write, right? They'd be in nature, they did arts and crafts, they did social interactions, but they didn't do any schoolwork. And then when they were all ready, 
the parents sought her out and she started working with them. Within two years, not only could the 10 to 12 year olds read and write, they were all taking college level courses within two years of what they, they had a passion for, right? Thomas used this, um, he used the, the analogy of Steph Curry tweeted online of doing a free basketball seminar, you know, at Oracle Arena this weekend. It's like, how many people do you think it come? I'm like, like, fucking standing room only, like it's full. He's like, cool. Do you think there's a discipline issue? And I'm like, no, there's 100% buying. And he's like, if there was, there was one kid or one adult that was off. And I was like, that wouldn't happen. And he's like, no, they'd beat his ass is what would happen. Like everyone wants to be there so bad. Yeah. They would, they would self-police the one that was being out of, you know, not, not that's not, doesn't want to be there. Like get the fuck out of here. You're not, you're not allowed. And so what he's getting to is that at a certain point, when you have full buy-in, there are no disciplinary issues. There's no such thing as ADHD. Like all those childhood things vanish because you've waited for the kid to mature to a point where they finally want to know the thing and they're willing to learn every little thing that goes into it. He's like, you, you know, how do you teach math? A kid wants to build a treehouse. That now you got to square root stuff. Now you got to find geometry and angles, and then all that stuff gets baked into the the knowledge of how you build a treehouse, and then play with that thing for twenty years. You know, so really, what he's leading towards is a bit from Steiner, which is, you know, kids have these these cycles they go through every seven years, and the better we can equip them at those ages, based on what he knew hundreds of years ago, hundred years ago, right? Like that that actually does matter. And so for me, it's, it's less of force feeding him at this age, as he's seven right now, um, what he ought to do or, or need to do, you know, and it's like, uh, that's kind of gone. If he wants to do hooked on phonics with us for a couple of days straight, we'll do that. If he wants to take two weeks off, cool. Um, he goes to the Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu twice a week, you know, there, and he does, he does violin once a week and we practice each day and he loves violin. He's going to play the Star Spangled Banner on 4th of July. It'll be his first little performance. So, you know, music, spatial awareness and body stuff, those are critical pieces for the development of a human. And so that's that's the only hard no we have is like, you will play music until you're 18. You can pick your instrument, but when you pick an instrument, you've got it for at least a year. And you're gonna do jujitsu and Muay Thai until you have black belts, right? And yeah. and then you can stop then if you want. Yeah. Um, because of the, you know, what I learned from fighting was far more important for me as a human than it was for you know any ranking or any of that stuff however much little money i made it had nothing to do with that it had it had to do with me finding myself and me knowing that i could protect myself and protect my family and i think it's such a critical piece right you don't see you know how many videos has rogan posted of this little scrawny kid getting picked on and the scrawny kid arm tosses some dude and rips his arm off like you level the playing field with childhood bullying and it's, you know, when I was training in jiu-jitsu, I was pleasantly surprised that one of the guys that I had fought with on the street uh, when I was like 19 was training at AKA. He didn't recognize me. He was hammered uh, when we fought. And um, this, the, at the year after year, that guy stayed in jiu-jitsu. He lost all of his assholeness, right? He, <laughs> he, just, he just burnt off. It burnt off all the anger. It's, it's humbling baked into the equation, especially jiu-jitsu, because you lose all the time. You know, you I tap. I'm up in a black belt since 2016. I tap every time I get on the mat at some point when I'm training with guys good enough, you know. And so that that teaches something, you know, the wins and losses are there. There's no participation award for it. You know, that's baked into the equation. But at the same time, humility is baked into the equation. How to go gently. Like the first time I'm 230 pounds, the first time I rolled with the high level female, 
I still have to tone it down. You know, I'm just going to muscle her and win. Like, what's that worth? Right. So there's so much more that is taught, especially at a young age on space. You know, most jujitsu classes for kids is like tumbling, gymnastics, body awareness, those kind of things. Um, and how to train with somebody, how to be an effective training partner. So, you, you know, if they tap, you let go, you know, you're not cranking on stuff. And um, I think those gifts right now, that's, he's thriving just from having that, you know, he has more than enough on his plate. Um, we have plenty of time to make it out into nature. We got this, this 118 acre farm that we're doing together with Aubrey. And, um, you know, he comes out, we raised 38 chickens in our house in Austin before we brought him out to the farm from like two days old. Yeah. And, um, you know, those little responsibility pieces that kids should have at various ages can become something that, that gives them purpose and meaning like, oh, I'm taking, if I don't take care of them, they're not going to live. Like yeah. it's a requirement of me, right? That's a, that's an important thing to be able to, to grapple with, even if it's not a hundred percent and I'll feed them if he messes up, you know, um, having those responsibilities at a younger age is also really good. And looking at the world at large, I know I'm getting long-winded here, but looking at the world at large, you know, as a pr pr provider and a protector um, and an educator, you know, really seeing supply chain issues, you know, all the all the meatpacking plants mysteriously go up in flames in the same year. Like, what is happening right now? Like, no one's going to say what it is. Um, you know, if you're not growing your own food, you better know who is. Like, I'll just put it that way, right? So, I think having the resources to start a farm, you know, most people don't, but we're blessed to do that. And, and you, you know, I think, uh, there's a guy who I've been following named ice age farmer on a YouTube kind of dark, but, um, really to the point. And, um, you know, one of the things he said is, is those that are going to survive whatever the next stage of humanity is, will become producers, meaning you're still going to consume, but you will produce more than you consume. Yeah. You know, however that is, whether it's the clothing, quilts, you sell something on Etsy, you're producing more than you consume. And that's been a, a driving force in, in what I've tried to really cultivate on the farm and what I'm trying to bake into them, produce more than you consume. I like that, man. I think that's a, I'll, I'll, I'm going to take that with me. I think that's a really simple sort of mnemonic to use for that. That, that makes a lot of sense. Do you, um, I don't know. Do you feel afraid of the future for your kids? Do you, do, do you have moments of just like, I'm scared that, that, you know, it's going to be fucking pandemonium. And, and I mean, it already has been in a sense, but how, how do you square that as a dad? There, there's a couple things. I really grappled with this, you know, during lockdowns. I, I mean, I treated COVID like everyone else. I thought this fucking bluebonic plague is coming. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to walk by dead bodies on the street. And when it wasn't that, and then some of the more, you know, nefarious points were coming across from the narrative and, and nobody's talking about zinc or vitamin D3 or the benefits of hydroxychloroquine and all the yada, yada, yada. I was like, this is, this is a bit more wiry than I suspected it to be. And that really weighed on me. You know, I, I wasn't showing up as the best dad when I had to carry that shit with me, worry and the fear. And the truth is that took a long time. It took like a year and a half for me to figure out I can't live this way. I have to remember the beauty of this place. I have to remember the joy. And that means participating in it. You know, it means doing the ceremony when I don't want to, you know, it means, but it's needed. Right. And I'm not saying just this for everybody, but for me, if I'm avoiding something because of the challenge, that's not the time, right? I got to say yes to the challenge. And, and I have to prioritize how I take care of myself. You know, there's a great movie I want to see. We haven't had time, The kids are going to bed later because they go to bed when the sun goes down. You know, so like their circadian rhythm's good, and I appreciate that. 
but that doesn't leave much time for me and Tosh to watch a movie. You know, it's like, well, if I do now, that means I'm going to bed at 1130 instead of 10. That's a problem. It's going to affect my next day. It might affect my next two days. Right. So the, all those decision-making processes fall in line with how can I be the best version of myself so I can be the best version of myself for my kids. Yeah. And I think that's, that's been a guiding force, but you know, as, as dark as things seem, or and, and who knows, I mean, I, I don't even think we're at the worst of it yet, not by any means from what I've been learning. Um, that said, that just makes that much more important. You know, there's um, yeah. one of the, um, I forget, I forget the tribe, uh, but I'm sure you've heard of this too, where they're, the, the, the history of that culture in the writings from the Western people that spent time with them was that they danced when there was a celebration, they danced when there was conflict. Got it. And then they looked back, they danced way more when there was conflict than in celebration, sure. right? Because because you fucking had to. So I think about that, like where where is the dance? Where is the, the movement to move this stuff out so yeah. that no matter what, as no matter how dark it gets, I'm still showing up as the best version of myself. Yeah, man. Uh, what I'm really interested in these days is the, um, I mean, well, obviously one of the fucked up things that's going on is, is the, the mass shootings, the school shootings and, and the young men that are, that are doing that. And, you know, I'm, my work is mostly with fathers at this point. And, and there's just like this collective, I don't know, fucking freeze for, for parents who are taking their kids to school every day dropping them off and like somehow squaring that inside of them and being okay with it. There's just, I'm really, um, I don't know how it's going to happen and I don't know what I'm going to specifically do about it, but my, there's my sense that, that being a dad allows us this, uh, uh, I don't know, experience of stepping the fuck up because we have to. And, and I, what I'm really curious about is how might we propagate that same sort of mature, healthy, protective response beyond just our families. And, and that this might not be something that's realistic, right? I, th I think like at the end of the day, you know, we might only have enough time to take care of our little crew. And I, obviously that's first, but, but I'm really curious about what it would take to kind of like inspire dads, almost like a layer of them, right? Like a blanket of them across the fucking country or the world or whatever to fucking step the fuck up and, and get out of freeze and like, you know, lean in and, and, and do more for our communities and for, for nature and for all of the things. And um, I don't know, I don't know what's, what's there is to explore there, but I'm, I, I kind of want to fucking like bark at all the dads across the world. Just be like, it's fucking go time guys. It's, it's like, go, yeah. we got to fucking, we got to go now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, for me, it's about equipping people, you know, and Tim Kennedy was just on Rogan's again. He talked a lot about sheepdog response. I went to sheepdog a couple of years ago and it just blew my mind. I mean, I had weapons training and things like that with different uh, special forces guys and, and all hugely beneficial, but Tim's course that, that changed the way that I interact. It changed how often I shoot. It changed the drills that I do. It changed the way, how I, how I look in my house when I get, you know, if I need a guy did a course on clearing my home, you know, I think giving people equivalency who want it, right? You have to want it. It's no different than weight loss. Like if so you're just losing weight because the doctor told you to, good luck. Um, but when you want that, knowing the right source, like if I want to experience plant medicine, I better have the good teacher. I better have a good maestro. Um, if I want to learn uh, firearms and how to protect people, I should damn sure get some really good training in that and then keep that training up, right? Keep the sword sharp. Uh, if I want food security, I should know my farmers and I should go and help and volunteer and get involved with them 
or start my own little garden, right? Which we have here in, in our little 5,000 square foot suburban back patio, you know, like there's all of those things put skin in the game. And with that skin in the game, as long as you continue that, you're starting to, to you're, you've effectively planted seeds in different departments yeah. that actually matter. They matter in the long run with how, how safe you feel inside. If I don't feel safe, my kids are not going to feel safe, you know, so I have to feel safe in order for them to feel safe. That might mean stocking, you know, a year's supply of food in the pantry. Like it doesn't, it's, it's different for everyone, but those things do matter because if not, you just like a back background app, just running nonstop. It's going to take away the bandwidth for, for your ability to be present and to make good decisions in real time. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I think my sort of last sort of question here is I want to give you some open space to, um, I don't know, to just without, without holding back, give some fucking advice to, to the ideally in the future, the billions of dads who listen to this, give, give them the best of what you got. What have you learned? What do you lean on? What's your core? Um, what do you have? What do you have to share for what's worked for you, man? Yeah. A couple of books that really changed my life were hold on to your kids by Gabor Mate and his son, Daniel, and then another doctor, Gabor Mate has obviously been a huge influence of me in the plant medicine game, but um, he's a psychologist from, from Canada. And one of the, I mean, that book illuminates so much on the importance of holding our kids. And that's, that's a hard thing for parents who didn't have that from their parents. It can be a hard thing. You know, you read the five love languages, you've got touch is one of them, right? Touch, quality time, acts of service, these, these different uh, avenues. And maybe your kids don't want touch in the same way if that was their priority, but literally holding on to your kids, like building that healthy attachment. You mentioned attachment, like they died. That whole book is on attachment and what a healthy parent-child attachment should look like. And what happens when that isn't there is they look for peer attachment. You know, it can go all the way to gangs, but it can also not be at gang level and still not be connected to you as a parent and be somewhere in the middle where they don't give a shit what you say. All they care about is their teachers and their friends. Right. You don't want that either. It's, again, it's not as bad as gang violence, but at the same time, that's not the healthy bond that you want to create. And that's been something that that's really helped me in life because my son's main language is touch. You know, and I know that's one of the ways that I can soften through when words when we're both up here in our heads and shit's vibrating at a high level and it's not the best time to talk. Like if I can just calm him enough to hold him while he cries or massage on his legs and, and, and let him breathe with me, you know, and most of the time he's like, no, I don't want to breathe, you know, but as long as I can put hands on him and slowly massage that move, that energy through his body, that softens him. And then it softens me, right. I'm getting oxytocin as I massage him. And then from that place, we can actually have a, a, a better conversation. The other book that that's blown me away. Uh, and he has a fantastic podcast. It's from Kim Jong Payne. Um, <laughs> And now I'm forgetting the name of it. Do you remember the name of his book? Yes. I don't, I don't know. And I'll look it up. Yeah. Look it up. Um, his podcast is phenomenal. He does a lot of 10 minute clips and um, you know, these 10 minute, 15 minute podcasts are awesome. You know, you got to go drive down the street real quick to the grocery store and you're all alone, throw it on. Like you get, so there's soul so many of discipline. Is, is that yep. what you're the soul, the soul of discipline. Yeah. Soul of discipline is brilliant. And that, that really showed me, I knew what not to do from my childhood, but I didn't know what to do, yeah. you know, because in a lot of this stuff came back up for me when bear turned three and four, because there was so much pushback. It's like, how do I do it? You know, like there's no manual. And, um, 
he, the soul of discipline is so incredible because it really dives into what does the best picture look like? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he illuminates is, um, you know, if you were, if you were beat as a kid, you've got two options, beat, or, or if you're not going to beat, you go, what's next yelling, right? Like, Hey, you're lucky. I'm not beating you. I'm going to yell at you instead. Right. And then, and then, you know, if you were yelled at as a kid, you either yell or you over explain shit. Right. None of those three options work beating, yelling or over explaining. They're not, they, they are, you know, descending order of, of problematic, but, but they're still not the right way. You know, and I, I saw, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I get into the over explanation model and I saw that actually how, how my, my childhood went when spanking stopped working, there was yelling, when yelling stopped working and I just smile at them. Then they'd over explain shit. Right. I remember having to stand with my sister at the foot of my dad's bed for 45 minutes while he just went off, you know? And, um, it's funny because if you're aware and present with your kids, like if I try to explain something even positively for too long, my son's fucking, he's on outer space. You know, miss all that shit, you know, like repeat that back to me. Uh, like there's no chance. So it it doesn't work. Right. And I think the, the beauty of the solo discipline is that he shows you the working models of how to relate to your kids, how to communicate with them. What's too much, what they can handle at each stage of development, you know, how long can they handle, you know, the conversation at that stage of development? I think all of that was super important for me and can be super uh, helpful for dads and moms. But yeah, the podcast too, they're so short. They're just like, you, you pick one up and you're like, shit, I do that, you know? And then like, there's a doorway out. There's another, there's a better way. And he's got, he's got so many of them that, you know, there's, there wasn't really, I couldn't go three pages without the aha moment you know, in that book. So I think those two are, are really important things for me um, as a dad. And then, you know, the, the reminder, because we are on this cyclical pattern of time where we get to, to re-experience things, hopefully as a different person with greater awareness and do it better the next time we go through it. But to, to not stay anywhere in the negative, like if you fuck up, the faster you get to forgiving yourself the better you're going to be at dealing with the next issue, the better you're going to be at dealing with any of life's issues, um, you know, to soften, to, to, I talk about this in relationships a lot, like to let go of the need to be right. Mm -hmm. You know, especially in the world of debate and online, yeah. you know, finger pointing, like if you can let go of the need to be right with your kids and your partner, you've already accomplished half of the win right there. Yeah. Right. Um, I had a, uh, one of my coaches said, you know, we move from, rage which aims to destroy to unclean anger which contains blame and resentment and it aims to hurt or harm mm. down to clean anger which mm. aims to resolve right so anywhere i'm out on that scale i got to work myself down to clean anger where my aim is to resolve it's not to be right it's not to say blame or any of those things like it's just it's simply to resolve the issue where both of us come out of it better you know so that's a good working model that i've run through as well you said something in there that that peaked a thought in my head was, do you think, and it sounds like maybe the uh, the soul of discipline has some of this, but do you think that people have a model of excellence in, in parenting or raising kids or being a dad? Do, do you think that that's something that, I mean, do, do you have one or where do you look for that, right? Where, where do, if we don't, I mean, I think, you know, obviously families are such personal things and in today's world with Instagram, everything's a little bit different, but um, it's interesting to me how, how that gets propagated and shared 
you know, what, what being a really fucking good parent actually like looks like, man. It's, it's not something I think everybody has access to. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my closest friends out here, uh, Cal, John Callahan, he's got three kids. He was the first family when we moved here in 2017 that we bonded with. And um, he's 10 years older than me. He's got a son that just graduated high school. He's got two, two kids in junior high and high school now, um, two boys and a girl. And we went, I went for a hike at a Turkey Creek trail with him and, and bear and bear got super pissed. And, and I just, I just, I got down on my knees. So I wasn't staring over him. I got down to his level and just let him dump and, and fucking scream and yell at me and all these things. And he's like, dude, you know, 30 minutes after the fact as if we had resolved the situation, he's like, maybe that's it. And I was like, what? And he goes, maybe, as a dad, it's just our job to let them vent all that, to be the safe place for them to get all that out. And then they just fucking ping, return back to normal, yeah. you know? And who knows if that was really about not being able to have a snack until we got to the yeah. end of the road or not, right? It's likely some other shit that yeah. was unresolved. And, and they, they do talk about that in both those books, Solo Discipline and Hold On To Your Kids, mm-hmm. that the big cry, it's not just the event that just happened. It is carrying the weight of all the things that haven't been processed yet. And when you allow that to process, um, then you know, your little baby shows back up again. You know, So I, I think of things like that as ultra important. And that's, again, like me learning in real time, me yeah. softening to see what my kid wants to teach me next. You know, And if I reverse that, was I allowed that space? Fuck no. That didn't bode well. You know, That didn't bode well for me as, as a human. Um, to not be able to share my voice, you know, incorrect or not. It doesn't, you know, like to give them, to grant them that space and access um, is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Last night at bedtime. So Jude, my, my middle kid, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a fucking wild one and, and he gets angry. He has, he has, he's had a temper since he was like three days old. Right. He just, <laughs> he has a lot of it. And, um, but oh, man, it fucking broke my heart last night. So we're going to bed, doing the bedtime routine. And right now, so we read books, but they, you know, the brothers sort of have this competition thing, like who gets to read the first book, who gets the first snuggle afterward, right? Whatever. And you just threw it fucking down. He, he just like, he's like, fuck it. I'm not having it. I want my way. And he just had a, he had a total, you know, he lashed out big time. And I just, you know, I hung with him and we sat for a while. And I tried to make a joke. I tried to sort of redirect and things. None of that was where he's like, fucking, I'm mad. But we held it long enough. And then he like, he said, can I have a hug? And he leaned in and, and I've never heard this from him before, but he says, dad, I hate being angry. He's like, I hate it so much. And he just fucking, he broke, man. It was, it was one of the most like tenderest places that I've ever seen him in and and it was just this uh recognition that you know this is a pattern he's had for three and a half years now like he does he gets really mad and this was the first time i've ever heard him feel that and say that i don't like it i don't want to be and and i was telling my wife later she's like yeah man it sucks being angry you know it's not it's not a fun thing to be angry but that was a that was a really beautiful moment there's a there's a kid's book called jilly's terrible temper tantrums and it's about yeah. this little female kangaroo, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. in that book, like the resolution through all the work with Jilly is when she can catch the emotional state and not like it and then ask to be held. Mm-hmm. Right. So that happened, right? That's yeah. that's 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 the resolution. That's that that awareness is so massive for, for young people to to come to that. Yeah, man. Well, 
this, you know, that's what my intention with this show and, and, and this project that I'm building right now is, is exactly what we're doing here. And I really appreciate you taking the time because because it really is my belief that we're talking about the most important shit here. And, you know, I think men are evolving in a way and becoming more verbal and, and learning from each other. But but this is this is an area that I want to really kind of break open and create a space for people to really get critical about and really get creative in. Um, so thank you, man. And, and it's, it's obvious that uh, your care and your dedication to your kids is just so blatantly obvious in, in every direction. And um, as we wrap this up, the, the last question I have for you here is, it, it is about, you know, your spiritual life and your spiritual practice and your spiritual understanding of things. And, and I'm curious how you, how you weave your children into that and, and, and how that's, how that plays out. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, 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 my parents did a good job of, you know, that we went to Sunday school and stuff like that when I was young. And then when I kept getting kicked out of it, they were like, all right, we don't have to go to church. Um, but they were into all sorts of shit. You know, they were learning about psychics. They were doing transcendental meditation. My dad did that for 20 years, um, studying a lot of the Eastern uh, mysticism and, and religion out there from Buddhism to Hinduism and just trying to expand searching, you know, we're all searching. Um, and I was almost pissed that they didn't tell me about the other stuff. Like, Hey, you brought me to church till I was 10, but you didn't show me there's all these other things out there. I had to stumble upon it myself. Um, and there was benefit to that, you know, because I wasn't taking anything at face value. I was discovering it for myself really for, you know, one of the big cruxes we have is, is separation versus the unity of one universe. Even if it's a multiverse, right? It's one song that's being sung and to, to have a respect for what you eat, by killing it, to have a respect for how you interact with people, whether it's online or face-to-face, -face, that has been lost in many ways. And an understanding that we are all of the same source, all of it, everything. I mean, that's my personal understanding is a lot like animism. Whatever soul I contain that's animating this human body, there's one in the oak tree. There's one in the ayahuasca vine. It's, it's fucking everywhere. The whole thing is source. And um, that's really the only thing that I've given to my son is that understanding. There's a lot of people that will teach you that God sits outside of you somewhere in the clouds or somewhere else. It's in you. It's in everything. Everything you see is that. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. But, all right, man. I'm, I'm, I'm empty on my tank of questions. Um, huge appreciations. Thanks for your time. And uh, yeah, thanks for being a guest, man. One Absolutely, of brother. Yeah. yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Be well, dude. Take care. Alrighty, brother. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. I appreciate you. Please take a minute to leave us a review. Uh, share this podcast with others that you think would get a charge out of it. And uh, keep following along. We're going to keep running. All right. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye.